We're back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And today today's a special day for Black Box because this is this is what our first interview that we've recorded with somebody that's reached out through us through our email. So like that's big. <laughs> but besides that, our guest today is Dean Lampert. And he, well, currently, currently, he is, uh, he's been involved with the funeral home industry for the past 30 years, but he's had a crazy, like, career journey and life story, and he was a great speaker. So he's gonna, like, his, his, some of his stories, honestly, John, they, they, they were crazy. They hit deep. So yeah. I think this is, this is gonna be a good one. I got a little bit emotional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he also normalizes in, like the end of life conversations and helping, you know, make that a positive thing or turning it into something that's as positive as you can with those types of topics and all the emotions that are happening at that time. But yeah, he also is recently just started a new project, the Love Always Project. So it ties into everything that he's doing, what we just spoke of. And he goes into a little bit about the project. He plugged his social media. If anyone's interested, you can always check that out at the end of the podcast. Yeah, we'll plug it in the show notes as well. So let's dive into the conversation. Yeah, this one was honestly sick. And I, I definitely learned a bunch. Yep. All right, let's do it. Peace. We're super excited to uh, announce on Black Box that we have our first advertisement. And it is with our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, which is what we've been using since day one to record remotely with our guests. Uh, and they've become a new sponsor for the show. So tune in. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned to hear more about why we love Zencaster. All right. So, Dean, thank you very, very much for coming on. Um, could you just take a second to introduce yourself? Sure. It's great being here. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, name is Dean Lambert, and uh, I've worked um, in the uh, affiliated with the funeral business since 1991 um, and uh, have basically uh, started a, uh, a project uh, for our organization called uh, The Love Always Project. And uh, basically, uh, we are uh, working uh, to uh, create a grassroots effort to encourage people to talk about and plan for end of life. Uh, it's something that is very difficult for, for people to talk to. But when we did a lot of social listening and uh, and and looking at what's what the conversations are, especially as there's, you know, deaths of celebrities and like for me, all these old rock and roll guys are dying and making me feel my mortality. And you'd be surprised <laughs> how many people, uh, you know, are talking about it, but not really channeling, channeling it into, wow, what happens when I die or what happens when my parents die? And so we, we've created a, 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 a platform, I guess. Uh, hopefully we'll have an app or something more mobile friendly at one point where uh, folks can just basically we want to turn the keys over to them so they can talk about their experiences, their lack of experience. Uh, we'll have subject matter expertise uh, on the platform and hopefully just make it healthier for people to talk about end of life and um, how to handle things uh, because it happens to everybody. Uh, some are tragically young. And some, uh, thankfully, you know, very old after full lives. So that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, 
And uh, basically, I never thought I'd be anything, anything starting with the funeral business. <laughs> I'm a military brat who moved around, wanted to be a doctor growing up. And uh, my advisor at the university said, well, you, you need 60 hours of math and science to be a doctor, at least. And I'm like, well, I understand all this stuff. They said, yeah, but you got to understand more and pass an MCAT. So I went into broadcasting and did radio for 10 years. And from there, I uh, I got into creative writing and a lot of commercial production and uh, started an ad agency. Um, and then the company that I am uh, with now said, hey, uh, how would you like to take that little agency and move it and make it in-house? And guess what? You don't have to worry about payroll or taxes or any of that stuff. And uh, and so it kind of opened me up to working with uh, all of these funeral homes to help them promote their brand and get real with consumers. And so this project is just kind of an extension of a 30 year journey. That's, that's great. I, I wanted to comment on the, you know, you're saying it didn't really go how you originally planned. You wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. As I think Ahmed can agree. Now that we're growing up a bit, we're a couple years out of college. I'm definitely realizing that life is something that you can't plan for. My yeah. plan's entirely different than what it was even two years ago. I, I I can tell you, I just turned 59 years old and my gosh, I mean, I, I think of things like in 10 years, I'm going to be almost 70 and I'm like, no way. And if you look back, um, you just never know where your life's going to take you. And wh wherever I ended up, I mean, if you think about it, the first funeral home I ever uh, uh, helped to promote and do PR with, uh, I went into that funeral home. And being a military brat, I never had a hometown, right? So this was a Lincoln, Nebraska funeral home where the the funeral directors were sort of pillars of the community. I don't want to overblow it, but I mean, people trusted them and they relied on them. Um, they had this empathic way of healing people and making them feel better so they could address the issues at hand. Um, of course, there was a clinical part of it, uh, you know, in the prep room. And, um, and I thought, oh my gosh. I wanted to be a hometown doc. I didn't, I didn't ever have a hometown. I always wanted to settle somewhere and be that town's doc, you know, take care yeah. of the babies and take care of the old people. You and wanted that responsibility? That responsibility and also that way to be uh, needed and integrated, you know? In a community, a, yeah. A lot of military brats are, are pleasers because if you move a lot, if you don't observe what's going on around you and you don't understand how to assimilate a little bit and, and to get in, I didn't mean, I don't mean you know, get rid of my personality and stuff, but understand how and where to fit in. You'd never have friends. Not that I Because you have to do it quickly. Yeah. You got to kind of do it quickly. And so uh, through all of that, it gave me all of this experience. Um, but I still never had roots. I still never had a long standing community. And this funeral home, I, I thought it had everything to offer me. And I thought, wow, I want to be a funeral director. So I talked to the, the my mentor and he said, hey, you definitely got it. I mean, I could, I would in a minute tell you where to go to school um, and I would have you apprentice here and, and, and help uh, at some point you could, I'd have you buy into the business. Cause I don't know if my kids are getting the business. He said, but, and this was a big, but that sounds weird, but it was a big <laughs> point in my, in my life where he said, but what you've done for our funeral home, not a lot of people do. You have opened up people's eyes to who we are, what we are, that we're just like them. You're, you, you are making, I could never explain what we do the way you explain what we do. I could never engage people um, after we've done a funeral to keep them, you know, uh, to make our firm their firm so we get recommended. And he said, if you stay and keep doing what you're doing, I promise I will help you find customers and you'll also be very close and very valued in the funeral community. 
And today I've been able to work with others and, you know, over 3000 funeral homes in the country, um, helping them do the same thing. And so that, that, uh, that, but word can be a big, huge turning point and take your life in, in a direction. I tell my kids that I, I tell other young folks that I talk when I say young, I'm talking about your age and you know, you don't have to have your life all planned out. Um, it doesn't mean you should move in with your, you know, in your parents' basement. I mean, you got to get out, you know, and, and, and get that fear and, and, and figure out what you're going to do and feel that fire a little have bit yeah. back against the wall. Right. Otherwise you're not motivated, but uh, you know, you just never know. You just never know. And, um, uh, it doesn't have to be the most glamorous either. There's so many ways to earn a living. There's so many ways, in fact, not just to earn a living, but provide value to others in yeah. meaningful ways that are meaningful to others, but also yourself. And with technology and globalization and being able to reach people of all kinds of cultures and backgrounds, man, I wish I was 25 right now, you know? Yep. I wake yeah. up every day and I'm like excited to get to work on all this new technology that's in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little scary. Um, but if you Definitely. are working for the good of it and not the bad of it, and what that means for me anyway is, you know, as I get older, I get concerned about um, the the people people not having access to the things that technology and communications uh, do to make life better for folks, to make it a great leveler. And I don't mean leveling by bringing some people down and lifting others up. I mean, whatever it is that a person wants to do or feels they need to do in life. You, you don't have to be raised to a, a, a high level to have a great life, but you mm-hmm. want to have the opportunities everybody else has. Of and course. I think, I think these days, um, aside from not having a computer or, you know, or access to the Internet, those are the things I think that limit people now um, because you certainly <laughs> I have an MBA as well. So I spent plenty of time in college like you guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that that is totally necessary anymore. And yeah. I think it sometimes holds people back because that mindset persists. Yes. And I feel like we're continuously being held to the standard of, you know, the degree says something, mm-hmm. but we're also in a stage now where you can teach yourself anything just by using a computer. If you yeah. know the right techniques, like what read or what type of learner you are. In it. Yeah. 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 There's a, uh, and I hope I'm not getting off the path, but you're talking about entrepreneurship and, you know, no, it's okay. and doing stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a motorcycle guy, and there's a place in Maggie Valley, uh, North Carolina, that is um, the Wheels Wheels Through Time Museum. Everything that's in there, uh, mostly Harley Davidson, but other you know brands, uh, go back to like 1913, 1905, and every single machine in there runs. They also have wow. a, they have a, a single wing, a single wing, you know, a, a airplane. Yeah. Uh, from 19, I want to say 27 or something like that, that has a Harley Davidson engine running it. This was done by a kid over the summer who was 17 years old and he just wanted to build an airplane. Didn't have YouTube, didn't have forums, didn't have much really because it was in the birthplace of, of avionics. Um, and he just did it and it flew. And in fact, you know, there were other airplane manufacturers that took some cues off of him because the engine is very heavy and he had to do things to make it lighter. And so now, if you think that that kid in the middle of a farm somewhere could just figure it out. So today we don't necessarily have that kind of motivation or that, or, or people are, don't have opportunities like that, 
but there are so many other ways that you can learn things and teach them to yourselves. And, you know, you got all these gurus out there talking about the way to do stuff, right? And I think I'm afraid that a lot of young people think that they have to look at those gurus and figure out, figure out how to adopt their stuff and use that to be successful like them. And my one bit of advice to people, and it's based on just years of experience and, you know, a little bit of, I wish I would have, could have, like, why couldn't I be a theater major and still go to med school? All you need to do is take an MCAT. I know a guy who went to theater, who majored in theater and is a cardiac anesthesiologist right now. All I had to say is, you know what? Nobody's going to tell me no. And it's just the way I raised, you know, respect your elders. Today, you not only can go your own way, but- you can pay, you could take what a Tony Robbins or name your guru, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Seth Godin or whatever and say, I'll, I'll do what you did, but I'm going to Gary V Gary V, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could, you could be a guru without the F words, right? They're fun, but, uh, you know, pave your own way. Right. But all these people are out there just modeling the way for other folks. You don't have to follow their exact way. Oh yeah. I, uh, so. I wanted to follow up with something. That's yeah, a good right. point. I brought it up in other episodes, but I don't know if you knew, I like to trade. So I've been learning, I've been teaching myself to trade for the past two years. Right. And lately I've been seeing, I've finally been seeing things come together and things are clicking and a little bit of success. But what you're talking about copying what other people are doing, I feel like maybe the first year that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't seeing a lot of success because I was thinking that if I did exactly like these gurus are saying will work, it'll work out for me. But then I realized that everyone has a certain way of executing things and their own way of thinking things out. Once I started, you know, tweaking someone else's plan to fit my, how I like to trade and my mental, that's when I started to actually see some growth and success because I went my own way. Right. Well, and that's, that's a, it's a, it's a perfect because what you're saying to me um, is that you are using your lived experience your aversion or lack of aversion to risk, everything that is totally personal to you has given you your formula and it has resulted in some success. Now, the question is, is um, how do you expand on that success? Do you take your, if you find a way to bottle what you've done so that others can follow and you can write a book or you just say, you know what? I think the best way is that people could listen to folks and then continue to do their own thing. You know what they're doing with the wheel right now? They're building, they're building these metal spring mesh wheels that don't have no that have no air or anything. I've seen those, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think of things like: is it noisy on the street? You know, um, uh, metal. Does it have a good grip on a on a track? Can you race them? But those are the things that hold people back. I tend to ask those things because I'm trying to figure out if it's something I can consume, right? Yeah. And so you want to give uh, everything a chance. You're not the one that's quick to shut things down. Yes. I'm a voracious consumer. I try everything first, but then there's people out there who wait till other people try it and see if it hurts them or if it works for them or whatever. And then you say, ah, see, it didn't work. So I'm glad I didn't do it. They wait for that one chance to be right. (laughs) My experience and the way I do things is completely different than everybody else. We're not a homogenous, um, beings. We're not homogenous beings. And so, you could try something and expand on it based on your lived experience, right? And my lived experience is respect your elders. When somebody older than you with experience says you should try something, then you need to find a different thing. And that's why I didn't fight my advisor, you know, but that was based on my experience as I've gotten older. And as I've um, been able to rebel more and find my own way and try new things, 
I've become less risk averse and I've challenged more. And that has served me. And I know that's one of the things you, you want to talk about is that I think the thing that helped me stand out of my career um, and define stand out, right? Uh, do I have a TED talk or a TV program or an <laughs> awesome, you know, cha- uh, podcast? No. But it seems like you're happy, though, doing what you're doing. I think that's what matters. The, it matters that you want to choose how you want to stand out. And it's all based on your experience. If you have been impoverished and didn't have opportunities growing up, then you are, if you have one opportunity, you're going to be a fierce competitor in the future. Or I look at some of these uh, athletes that go back to their um, communities and truly, truly give back. You mm-hmm. know, the, yeah. I've seen guys, you know, um, with mental health issues now and the fact that that communities with school shootings and and police brutality and all those things, um, you see those happening. And it's compelling people to go back to their communities and say, look, I had a great run in football before my brains get scrambled. And while I have my money, I'm going back to my community and they're losing their lived experience to improve the situations of others. And I think that's when I look back. Um, I hope that people say, you know, Hey, after 30 years, you know, uh, uh, you've developed people who are better leaders than you, you, they've learned from your mistakes, but they've also modeled some of the, of your way, uh, you've inspired them. And, um, you know, you've, you've made people realize that talking about death really doesn't have to be talking about dying. It could be talking about living and life, you know, there are good positive things that really, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, you know, I mean, you have to define your own path. You have to be, you have to be happy with yourself as best as you can be. And if you can't and you're stuck, there's lots of um, ways to remedy that and through whatever, all the way up to therapy or, you know, I mean, you got to want to do it. You got to have lived experiences in order to, uh, yeah. to that's why I said, don't go live in your house, in your house or don't be idle because then your lived experiences stop. And, yep. and everything is manifested off of isolation and depression and things like that. Everything you previously knew as well, too. Yeah. You know, yeah there's, no, there's less learning involved, I feel like. Exactly. And so, and of course, it's easy for us to say, you know. Yes, yes. We're all doing things. We're in this rhythm that we're doing things we love and everything. And so, I'm not going to, you it's know. It's not the same for everyone. Yeah, It's not the same for everyone. And we're finding out more and more that people are just, you know missing some cylinders and not their, their motors aren't running or there's a short circuit somewhere and it could be a physical one, you know, you know, in the brain. And, um, so again, there, you just have to understand where you want to be and what, where you're stuck and then seek that help. Yeah. And I feel like also if you have the right people and, you know, behind you supporting you, those times when you feel like everything's not hitting correctly, you're not firing on all cylinders. Yeah. 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 It bring it might be a little bit easier knowing people are behind you other than having to face it alone. Well, and you know you're right, and but again, everybody has different motivations, right? Yes. So some people love to hear the word "no" or "you're a failure" or "you're not doing the right thing," and that person behind them, you know, you could be a negative person and and uh, be like Toby Keith, "How do you like me now?" kind of thing when you're successful, <laughs> or you could say, "You know what? Thanks for kicking my rear end." Thanks for telling me I couldn't do stuff because if you hadn't, I might have not. Right now, that person may have been malicious, but you know what? You use I'm all about way. positivity, right? Hey, you know what? You didn't believe in me, and I'm not sticking it in your eye. But hey, you know, I I took what you, what you thought about me, and it was great motivation. And I just wanted to tell you that, you know. And if yep. that person says, "Wow, you know," I mean, I was being a jerk, but I'm glad you're successful. And if they're not, then they don't need to be in your life. 
Yeah. That's not energy that anyone needs. Heck no. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the product that we use to record our episodes, it doesn't really have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process pretty quick and painless, which is, you know, the way we really want it to be. If you've been listening to The Black Box for a while now, you know that we constantly talk about how we want to bring the best quality and the best content for our listeners, you guys. And with Zencaster, they provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video for us as we record our episodes with our guests. Uh, not to mention it's easy to use. That's why we really like it because instead of having to coach you know, guests on how to set up a podcast if they haven't been on one before, we basically just say show up with a mic and a, a computer and you're good to go with Zencaster. Zencaster is all about making your podcast experience easy and and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production tools, if you want to use those, uh, you don't even have to leave your browser to get the entire episode done. If you go to zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox, you'll get 30% off on your first three months of Zencaster Pro. That's zen.ai slash blackbox, B-L-A-C-K-B-O-X. It's time to share your story. All right, Dean, I wanted to ask you... Um... To kind of explain, I know you said part of what you do is make uh, make talking about death a little easier and like something that is, I guess, uh, less painful. C- could you speak to that a little bit? Like, sure. sure. How how did you learn to do this? Mm-hmm. Or well, uh, first of all, I'm 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 in a position in in my life uh age wise and experience wise where where i've had you know people die on me whether it's been a great grandparent or a grandparent my mom died when i she was 44 i was 20 let's see uh 23 uh she was a heavy smoker had lung cancer and died so she's been out of my life for quite some time and um uh the you know, throughout working with funeral homes, you know, I've had staff members who I've been to their parents' funerals. And, you know, I, again, because my lived experience taught me to observe and absorb, um, you know, I, I have been inspired uh, in many different ways of hearing other people's stories, you know, and that's what this yeah. is all about. You know, there will always be pain, anguish, um, unless you're a st- sadist. Uh, uh, when somebody dies, uh, mm-hmm. from a celebrity that you, you know, you knew or a rock star or whatever, um, to the parent of a friend or, you know, coworker. And unfortunately in 2015, we lost our son. He was in the Marines, uh, was in Afghanistan and came back and went, was one of those 22 a day that you hear about. Uh, he just couldn't, you know, this is another reason why I know about, you know, starting your life and getting it kickstarted. He, he just couldn't, he had too many, uh, issues with PTSD. Um, he was far away from his buddies that he trained with. Uh, some of them were still over there and he had guilt over that. Um, and so, you know, uh, he took his life, uh, in, uh, 2015. And, and so, you know, we had that. And so through those experiences, um, you know, uh, you kind of learn, uh, what is necessary to do. And a quick story that one of the things that happened five, uh, seven years ago now, um, is both my wife and I work with funeral homes. Okay. She's in funeral homes almost every day, helping to consult with the owners and stuff on helping their businesses. Um, and, uh, and she's more in the, in the sales and, and direct consulting side. I'm in the communication side. Are you working together or is yeah, it not together? No, okay. she just has a different job in the organization. Gotcha. Okay. And we've always worked together, whether it was in radio or going to school together or whatever. That's awesome. 
yeah, it's, it, it is weird uh, that we are looking back. I'm like, oh, we've never not worked together. But um, when when uh, um, so very quick story, I, I ride with the Patriot Guard Riders, which is a uh, started uh, uh, their uh, military motorcycle escorts for military funerals, right? And so I've been on many, many missions with, with, uh, Patriot Guard riders. Um, and, um, you know, so I knew all about that when Adam died and, and, and we found him and stuff, we already knew what funeral home we were going to use. And so one of the first calls I made was actually to our Patriot Guard captain and said, Hey guys, and Adam had ridden with us too. And I told him what happened and he said, all right, we're there. Don't worry about it. So, um, so one of the things you might not know about is that uh, a lot of funeral homes buy what's called, they call it a Harley hearse, but it's actually a trailer on the back of a motorcycle. That's a caisson that you could put a, a, an urn or a casket in, and then you have your motorcycle escort and it's, you know, it's kind of like uh, the horses and the carriage, the old times. And, um, I know a guy that builds those and, uh, as a marketing communications professional, somebody's always looking at, um, uh, uh giving people options, you know, yeah. for celebrating yeah. life. I must have sold, I don't know, 50 or 60 of these. I would always tell my clients, you've got to look at this and you have to get it, especially if I knew if, if they rode, you know? And yeah. so when it came time to plan Adam's funeral, you know, um, I knew we knew what we wanted. I mean, Joel and I, we both, my wife and I both have our funerals planned out. We know what we want. We, we paid for it, everything. When it came time to do Adam's, the Marine Corps, and I'm sure other services, make you and when you're going to a theater of war to at least communicate to your families what your burial or cremation preferences are what your religious preferences everything so we knew that much about it okay when yeah. we we're going through the planning process uh we finally got to what's called the livery which is the vehicles right so the hearse or they call it a coach <laughs> the family car the flower car all that stuff right more of the aesthetics of yeah, yeah, all of that stuff. What do okay. you want for the cars? What do you want for the procession to the cemetery? And he's buried at the at the Veterans Cemetery about a mile and a half from me. And so the funeral director went through, was going through his process with us. And he said, oh, and you know we have the Harley Hearst, thanks to you. That is when I realized that I was in no position to be making major decisions about something that you have one shot to get right. Because I would have forgotten about that trailer, that Harley Hearst. When he brought it up, I went, oh my gosh, thank you for reminding me. And so to answer your question, coming back around, um, that's how you learn uh, how, how painful it is uh, to deal with the death of a friend or a loved one, how much it messes with your mind, not from the just from the standpoint that you're in a position to make decisions you know, especially when, you know, he died and we had to do something, you know, I mean, when the, a clock starts ticking about whether you're going to do cremation, burial, whatever. Yeah. Plus we had Marines driving in from West coast, East coast, 24 hours driving. They piled into cars and we had to wait for him. And, um, he wanted to be buried with, um, Jewish rites cause I'm Jewish. Right. And he, he kind of was into Judaism, uh, you know, which was great because my wife isn't Jewish and he kind of was the one that was my link to, you know, my old faith. And uh, so when you do that, you don't have a viewing. Most of the time, Jews, they bury right away. You have a wooden casket with no metal in it, holes in the bottom, yeah. you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And a lot of um, I think that happens in Middle Eastern cultures and yeah. uh, in Jewish. It's quick. It's quick. But yeah, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. The, the Marines wanted to see him. No, we have to see him. And I'm thinking two things. One, uh, no, because this was gone. <laughs> and two, he wanted to be, have Jewish rights. But how could you say no to these, these people? This is, yeah. he wanted it's to a see tough them. decision because you yeah. want to respect 
So we yeah. actually had to do an, an open casket and everything. And they came and they did the viewing. They had to bring an embalmer in that, you know, was retired. And it took like nine hours to get him. And he did an amazing job. Let me tell you, I took a peek and wow. But the point is, is that um, like those are all, that's just a little bit of what you have to think about when yeah. you're planning it. All um, while you're trying to process these emotions that are just. Yeah. Like and you have before, and you also have your own life going on. Your own life going on, and then even if it's not somebody close to you, and you're just going to a funeral and trying to support that friend, going to a funeral makes you think. Especially as you get in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you have your own kids and things. You start thinking of your own mortality. What happens if it happens to me? How do I plan? You do. You go through your own grief process again. If you've had any relatives die, all of a sudden you're remembering that. Yes, it, it just is a mind blower. And that's why it's, you know, I'm taking that experience that I have and, you know, going to lots of funeral homes and saying the biggest things that's thing that's missing out there is you've got all kinds of different podcasts and death doulas and people who are helping people. But there's no concerted effort to elevate this conversation. And the one bit of advice that I give to people who have, who are, who either have had an, an experience with a death of somebody. And so they are avoiding it and, or they're getting old and they want to avoid it. They're putting it off is that you don't have to think about your own death or dying or the details of that when you want to explore it, because really it's all about storytelling. It's yeah. all about finding out what your grandfather did in Vietnam, or in my case, World War II. Um, finding out how taking every opportunity to ask how long he dated grandma before they actually went out. Did she, did she love you right away? Was it love at first sight? Tell me a funny story. Um, what's, uh, what's, what are the things you're most scared of? What are the things you love doing? All you're doing is learning about that person's life so yeah. that when they do die, then you know how to celebrate them. You know, you know, yeah. what stories to tell. And that's, you know, how to write the obituary. And then for me, you know, uh, when Joe and I planned our own funerals years ago, um, you know, Adam's death sort of made us think about, okay, so now our story with our family, my two daughters and my son has taken a little skip in the record. What is it that I want people thinking about and talking about my children? You know, uh, 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 what was I proud of and things like that? What would we say about Adam? You know, yeah. hopefully his death will be, you know, decades by the time I die. Um, but you kind of have to think about that now. If something happened to me now, what would I want people to say about my relationship with my son and, and how proud I was of him or how sad I was, you know, discovering him and helping him through his troubles? So these are all things that I believe give people uh, a healthier outlook if it's done correctly. And I'm not an expert on all of those things. I'm not a therapist. I can only talk about how I deal with it. Yeah. Certainly, uh, our movement, uh, we're going to have subject matter experts and people, and and um, and and hopefully that gives folks an idea of how to talk about this pretty icky subject. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's awesome that like just the way you're able to speak about it to us right now. Yeah, try it. You know, after we're done, I'll do that and maybe have a whiskey or something. But no, well, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's therapeutic to talk. I about. had a. I had a similar situation about a year and a half ago with my cousin who he was a police officer. So mm -hmm. that was like a crazy wave that came through our whole family and we all kind of had to band together and, you know, fight something that we didn't think was going to happen, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And okay. So tell me about this. 
it wasn't just your family. If your cousin was a police officer, how many communities yeah. and circles of spheres of influence and, and, you know, you drop a rock into the pond and it, boop, 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 you know, you see those. Think about all the people that, that your cousin. Everyone had. he knew. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, he had an effect on a lot of people in the community because of his mm-hmm. occupation as well. Yeah. You know, yeah and so. seeing everyone come out to and the services. Yeah. It was, yeah. It makes you feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, I, I don't mean to scratch a, a, a scar, but I mean, no, it's okay. were there little bits of, of regret where you're like, wow, I didn't know all this stuff about my cousin. Yep. Well, especially yeah. because growing up there, there was some issues as you grow up, I guess the older people in the family have their things that you never really hear the full story about, but there would be some years where we weren't, we wouldn't see them as much. And then there were other years where we would see them at every holiday. So I also feel like that it was like, we would miss pieces and chunks of us growing up. Yeah. So then when yeah. this kind of happened, luckily at the time, the relationship with our family and all the sides were good. So excellent. the relationship was positive, but yeah, I feel like I always look back and maybe regret those times a little bit, or maybe that one time I was super busy and I didn't go out to eat with my family when they all met up, Right. you know? So yeah, it's hard. I'm already experiencing that and now I have to well, realize this is just what happens. It, it is what happens. And, and, you know, I always say that in my life, I mean, everybody thinks I'm crazy to be on a motorcycle, but I always wanted to. And, and that's what my I'm dad doing. was a motorcycle rider. His yeah, whole life, and, yeah. And especially in the funeral business. I mean, every chance they get me, they say, Hey, I just, uh, you know, took care of a guy who, whose head got whatever. They love doing that. And a lot of them, right. Right. I, I don't ever want to, when I'm, when I'm on my deathbed, um, I don't want to have any wish I would have, should have, could have. So what that means to a guy like me is that for all of the times that you're going to have a woulda, shoulda, coulda, just like you yeah, said, you got to just take it. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to make up for it. You've got to say, all right, well, that was kind of out of my control, even though free will, there's probably something you could do. It's not a sin. It's, it happens. Life gets in the way. So what can I do to sort of, you know, make up for that? And so every, you know, thing that's a, that's something that's a bit sad or you, a missed opportunity, whether it's trading or a family meet, uh, gathering or whatever, you got to find a way to make sure that either that doesn't happen again, or um, I'm going to go ahead and buy that plane ticket and go to New Jersey and meet my daughter, you know, uh, just because. Yeah. yeah. So those are the lessons, I think. And even having that kind of a discussion can have you talking about life, which segues into the end of life. And it's, I'd hate to use the word fun to talk about, but it certainly makes you feel good. You know, once you think back upon the conversation and how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's a, you're telling your life story almost. But, um, wow. I, I mean, Dean, you, uh, I feel like you, like, you, I've never had a conversation about death like this. And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that this episode was made with Zencaster and check out our coupon code below if you're interested to utilize their tools. Like, I know you said this wasn't how you planned your life to go, but um, you you said you started out doing um, something completely unrelated. But what at what moment did you transition to this new industry? And when did that almost take over what like your life? Sure. Well, uh, it, it was fortunately pretty early on. If, if you look back at my whole career, um, I was a millennial before there were millennials. Um, I, uh, 
I'm a person that can brainstorm and has ideas and I want everybody to know them because uh, it's kind of like, look at me. I want to be accepted. Here's an idea for free. You know, here's <laughs> what I think. What do you guys think? And even if they were, thought yep. I was an idiot, oh, engagement. Okay. Now, now I've got a way in. I mean, I worked at a radio station and I worked overnight. Um, I was the crazy overnight DJ trying to keep it and, and <laughs> really interesting people. But um, I would always have to stay after my shift to produce commercials. Back in the day, the the you were on the air for four, five, six hours, and then you had to, you had to produce spots, you know, uh, voice spots, right? Yeah. Back in the old days, and so my, you know, at six o'clock, six thirty, seven o'clock, when the owner of the stations would come in, the program director would make sure that he or she was in there and kept me away from the owner of the station. Because <laughs> if I got within two feet of the owner of the station, I was like, hey, Mr. Chapin, how you doing? I got it. I thought I was thinking last night. You had all these ideas you, know, you wanted to introduce. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and so I was very motivated and ambitious and it rubbed some people the wrong way and stuff. You know, I was a guy who got into radio just because I sort of had a personality and I forced my way in and cataloging when I didn't even think of most of the G- DJs that were on the air, mostly they spent their lives learning about music and the artists and who wrote this and who wrote that. And here I was just a voice. I didn't have that no. appreciation for music until much later in my career. So I went through the radio thing. One of the things, everything happens in a step. There's not one, you know, big cathartic moment. Yeah. There's several of them. Like the one that I told you with my mentor, the, the thing that got me from, from a uh, physician to, um, uh, to radio was, uh, my best friend and roommate in college who was from Lidditz, Pennsylvania, uh, Lancaster area near yeah. uh, Philly, uh, WFAN is where he worked for many years after college. Um, anyway, he uh, got me DJing uh, weddings with him. And the funny thing is, is when I used to, uh, when I lived overseas, I went to high school for three years in Italy. I was, would always work at the teen club and I would DJ every once in a while, but I never thought of it as a career. I just like to be the I was shy the under 18 about, club. Was, yeah. Yeah. I was shy about dancing, you know, or meeting girls. Um, and, but I could still be in the mix if I was playing the music. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I could live vicariously through everybody out there. Right. Which mm-hmm. stinks when you get to college, when you really want to, you know, meet some women. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we, we, I DJed weddings and parties and reunions. And so this guy got me into DJing. And then he said, uh, why are you an English major? Go into broadcasting. You would be great. And so he got me signed up for broadcasting. I was on the college radio station. Then we tried out for this contest uh, in Omaha called Supermouth, where you so you do a, a, a phone audition first. And if you're good enough, you get to go on the air live. And I got into that. Oh, really? Yeah. And he didn't. And that was tough. But then he kind of, again, these moments where Jim got me in the radio track, right? So if you look at your life as um, as a main river, all of a sudden there's these little logs or bumps or bridges or whatever that cause you to go this way or this way. Break off to Sometimes a smaller you have thing, a choice. Yeah. Sometimes you have a choice. Sometimes, Sometimes you have to make a split second decision like, wow, should I try that pot at this party that could get busted? And you know, your life's going to go a certain way. Now I'm talking not about me, but others, of course, uh, <laughs> every little bump causes you to either plow through that bump like yeah. Jeff Bezos does or to go around and just make a slight, you know, thing. And it's, it could be parallel. It could be a completely different thing. Mine just happened to be going this way off of this doctor. Gotcha. And so, so Jim, my buddy got me in radio. Then I realized in radio, I was writing all these commercials and I, and the account executives would take me to the uh, clients and I would love to learn about the businesses. Remember I told you I listened and absorbed, yes. 
even though I'm not doing much listening right now. Um, <laughs> but I was able to absorb the passion of the owners of their business and write a commercial and then produce the commercial. And so instead of selling air, this arbitrary- You knew thing, the product. And the, you- the account executive could go listen to your commercial. So they weren't buying airtime anymore. They were buying an ego booster that might bring them more business. That's me. That's my commercial. And then I got into the advertising. A friend of mine from college uh, who was in my fraternity called me up, said, I'm moving to Lincoln. Let's start an advertising business. Didn't exactly go that way. All of a sudden, I started an ad agency. And in 1991, I, we got called by a funeral home, this funeral home I told you about. And all of a sudden, yeah. I found that business. Everything. It's not like preordained, man, but you got to kind of say, why did this happen to me right now? And am I brave enough to take that jump? And that ended up in my partner want, not wanting to be in business anymore because he didn't want to be around funerals. And that led me to where I am today. So, you know, they, and they say life's a journey. It's not a cliche. Um, you just got to pay attention to all those little bumps and logs and challenges. And kind of sometimes you go with the flow and sometimes you got to go against it. It know? seems like it seems like you were able to take a risk in all of those situations. Like every time, you know, like you just brought up in the story right. that you reached that log or that roadblock. Yeah. You yeah. decided to yeah. take the risk and try whatever it is that seems like it, what's next for you. It, 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 I definitely did. But, the, but the thing about it is, as I always had a little, my thing was, is I was always a little afraid. So I went into business with a partner because we all are. do part of the partnership, right? <laughs> I should have just gone into business with myself and done. I didn't need that partner. Gotcha. When I started, when I, when we moved to, from Lincoln to Des Moines and I, and I decided I was going to do this, I, I had steady income, but I took a major pay cut and my wife was working luckily. So I always had a bit of safety. I okay. admire those people who say, I don't want to buy a franchise. I want to invent my own pizza and it's going to rock. Or the yep. guy started Domino's and okay. said, I'm going to sell pizza, but my business isn't about selling pizza. My business is what? Delivering. Delivering pizza. within 30 minutes yep. food to yep. starving and... In inebriated college students on every <laughs> so, so again, that guy didn't have very much. He just chucked it all. And how many pizzas are out there, right? And they're like, I can still do better. So I really admire those folks. I kind of always had some kind of a backup, um, thankfully. And, you know, I'm not a godzillionaire, but I'm very, you know, I, I like my life. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to retire when I'm 60 years old. And, you know, my wife's still going to work, though. <laughs> no, I mean, it seems like you still got to live a relatively unorthodox yeah. life through your yeah. careers. You're right. I am reformed. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta have the bacon, guys. Gotta have the bacon. <laughs> oh my god, Ahmed, is there anything else you got to say? I think, I think you, I just plainly, you've had an insanely fascinating life, and uh, I. I don't know if I I don't know if I've faced any of those moments just yet, but I guess now I'm lo- I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I I'm trying I'm trying to make a big change in my life right now. Like just trying to move from one industry to another, but at at the end of the day I'm still like an employee. So it's still Yeah. I don't know. I, I do I do enjoy entrepreneurial thoughts. Like I, I just get them sometimes and I'm like, oh, what if I did this? But I don't I haven't pulled the trigger on anything besides this podcast, which the two of us started kind of on a whim. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you did take that, you know, you, you needed to invest a little bit to, in starting the podcast, you got to build an audience and stuff, but you can be entrepreneurial in certain companies, especially startups. Um, yep. um, you know, my, my one daughter works for a company that, um, that uh, pretty much invented the only cure for cystic fibrosis. Um, wow. And, um, wow. and um, uh, her, uh, uh, well, I hope they get married someday. They've been together th- for seven years. They're both microbiologists. He has a PhD and he's working on this uh, thing called CRISPR. Have you heard of CRISPR? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so um, I got to be careful what I text and talk to him about because he goes off on it. And it's kind of like that old Star Trek where people are so smart, they vibrate into light and then you can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend's actually into all that stuff. <laughs> right. So she does developmental genetic research and yeah, she yeah. always talks about that. But yeah, yeah. sorry, I'll let you continue. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's exact. But see, they're in a, the, with CRISPR, there's a lot of startups that want entrepreneurial thought, entrepreneurial people. Um, and so, you know, I think there's just so much opportunity there. Um, and so every idea you have, one thing I would say is have keep a, a notebook by your bedside. Okay. And when you wake up, man, you know, at your age, you don't need as much sleep. There you go. As I, I use my phone as I use my notes app for everything. Yeah. You know, and the thing is you can hit a button and just talk it, you know? And yep. so, um, because that's the thing. And then you could look at something and, and it doesn't make sense for like a week after you said it or wrote it. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I remember. And you know, you may not be able to do it. I can't draw, but I can picture things that I think I could draw. I start it and it looks like crud. Uh, I feel the same way <laughs> in my head. It looks really artistic and then I can't put it on paper. Yeah. And same thing with me in, in writing the great American, you know, novel, you know, I mean, my, my story and, my or my, about my son or my daughters or this pat. I mean, I, I th- there's a story there somehow. The problem yep. is, is I'm used to writing short commercials and short stories, and I can't write the novel. Plus, I'm a little bit ADD, so uh, <laughs> I need somebody to keep me on track. But the point is, is that is that um, everything that you're doing right now is providing you an opportunity and lots of ideas. And um, the discipline I would say that you have to have is to write them down and then go back and reread them and take every experience you have and see if you can apply some of your ideas to either improve what you're doing, tell somebody that you trust what the idea is, talk to somebody who might have resources that can help you get your your uh, your thing off the ground and, you know, ask questions and be brash and remember that people will understand Um. You know, I had to explain to somebody one time because they said, Dean, you just seem like you always want your ideas to be heard. You always want your ideas. And I said, no, it's not that I want my ideas to be heard because I want that. It's that I fear that I don't contribute. And that so for me, it's just the act of contributing, not so much that I want my ideas. Yeah, I, I want to. There's narcissists out there who have to have it their way. I don't have to have it my way, but, but if I don't put an idea out there that somebody accepts, I beat myself up. I'm like, dang it. That wasn't a good idea. Yeah. I, you know? Yeah. And so or I'm not being effective or something. Effective yeah. or more importantly, and this is what I told my daughter one time, she's going to kill me for saying this story. She's been working for a company for about a year and a half and she, she wants to advance not because she wants to be the boss, but she feels like she wants to take on something more. Yeah, learn. About guiding people than doing the work. She feels she's got it down pat. And I said, I won't mention her name. I said, you got to ask yourself one thing. If your boss, can your boss, can you tell your boss that you're absolutely crushing the job you have right now? Are you doing more and better? Are you providing maximum value? 
Because if you're doing that, then they're going to be willing to say either A, I'll pay you more to do what you're doing because you're really good at it or we'll incent you better or whatever it is. Or yes, we want you to do what you're doing, but we want you to do, we realize you could teach it better. But if you're not doing what you're doing to the maximum right now, and this has been the thing that's held me back for my whole career, um, that in, in other words, I, I probably would have been more ahead in my company in my 40s instead of my 50s if I just would have learned to present my ideas as my intention is to add value, not to gain recognition, not to be over ambitious. Okay. No. Um, that's the thing. You got to do what you're doing best right now. There's a story, I think uh, Suge uh, worked at Capitol Records or whatever. And hi in his book, he said, they said, and he was president of his record label, right? He rose to president. And they said, you had no, what, what was it? They got you the president. He said, I never asked for a promotion. Whatever I did, I did it better than anyone else could, whether it was sweeping, cataloging, picking up, going to get coffee, whatever it was, finding artists. Before I moved up, I moved up only because somebody said, that person is doing an awesome job. We appreciate the ambition, the ideas, the enthusiasm, and they truly want to add value. Hey, would you like to do something else or something more? And really? I, I didn't learn that until late. I always wanted to move up. I felt I could do more. I felt my ideas were better. And all I wanted to do was not be wrong and make sure that I got validation for providing value. Other people did not perceive it that way. Wow. I feel like I, uh, I can agree with that somewhat because there have been times in my career at the company I previously was at, I was really pushing for a promotion and then I got a promotion and I feel like it might have rubbed some people the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I said, in the radio station, I mean, I, I moved to afternoons over this guy that had been in radio for 22 years and he knew the music. He could talk about the artists. Hell, he knew some of the artists and I was just this energetic young <laughs> guy who had a decent voice and, you know, had good ratings. And I didn't mm -hmm. realize till later, um, you know, with the artists that I love, um, and that I listen to, how important it is to understand that and their stories and their fight and their struggle to get on the air. You know, that's, I hope that doesn't happen too late for people. We're missing that right now. Um, I'm not saying folks are self-centered these days, but they're certainly, they're certainly less willing to truly understand somebody else's perspective and somebody else's lived experiences to really understand why somebody feels this way or why they're motivated or what they want. Well, yeah, I never meant it in a way that I wanted the recognition or someone to think that I deserved it more than them. I just wanted to provide value. And I felt like the position I was currently in, I wasn't providing as much as I think I could. Right. I was just trying to make it easier for everybody else involved. But I understand why it doesn't come off that way. Well, it's not that it doesn't come off that way. It's not on you. Okay. It's on the other person because what they're perceiving. Okay. There's somebody who is appearing to do something better than me and they're, they're threatened. And that's what's going on right that's now true, yeah. in the world. I mean, you got a madman, you know, going crazy out there. But half yeah. the reason in the world is that, you know, nobody really knows what to trust. And the minute you lose trust, there's fear. And the minute there's fear, you go to Maslow, <laughs> the thing in your brain, fight or flight. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. Um, you know, so that's that's the thing. I think we spend too much time. They talk about the golden rule being do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think there's a platinum rule. Do unto others how they would want you to do unto them. The only way you could know how somebody wants you to do unto them 
is to have a conversation. Yeah. What flavor do you like? Why are you afraid of this? So don't assume if you could actually just speak to them about it. You can't because yeah. any assumption you have, you're making it up in your head based on you. Yep. Mm-hmm. And again, something I didn't learn, learn till even with moving all around to all these places, I was focusing more on how to fit in as opposed to why should I fit in? What is it that they would get out of me being in their sphere? And more important, what is it that I would get out of it? And so that we could oscillate and have a great, albeit brief relationship. Learn things from each other, grow together. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the thing that we're missing these days is people just don't want collaboration. To I mean, there's some yeah. folks that are way over here and way over here. They don't want, they don't care to ever come to a, an yeah. agreement. It's really, that's never the purpose of why. And some of the craziest uh, stuff actually could make a little sense. You might not believe it, but you could understand why they believe it. And that's the biggest. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And I think if you can get there, you're already halfway, more than halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Israel, you know, one time and I'm walking around and I, I've been there a few times actually. And when you walk around in the, in Jerusalem and you see all the different, uh, uh, in the markets where you have the Palestinian quarter and the Israel quarter and you have, um, uh, I forget the other two now cause I'm not thinking I'm, I'm jet lagged cause I just got back from overseas. Oh, but anyway, really? um, but the point is, is that these people are working together and they all think of the same things. They want to have their kids grow up in a safe environment. They want to have enough money to enjoy eat, uh, eating and clothing themselves. And they just want to wake up every morning not being afraid that they're going to be killed by somebody who doesn't actually look or believe like them. But then when you watch the news, I mean, they make it into this, you know, huge thing. And, um, you can understand why certain people believe a certain thing and, and you don't have to agree with them, but you can sure nod your head and go, wow, if my family kept getting kicked out of my home, or if I was having to worry about, you know, bombs coming from wherever, or, if, um, you know, I, my independence was going to be, you know, taken away for whatever reason. I mean, I'm talking about lots of stuff yeah, that's going yeah. on right now. Everybody feels threatened. And yeah. when, you, when you feel threatened, and you have fear, your back's against the wall, and we turn- You can act a little impulsive as well. You're going to protect your territory in any way you can, because of fight or flight. And it's just the greatest inhibitor to discussion. I I agree. And I think if we were all just a little bit more willing to have those conversations, we'd be a lot better off. A lot better off. Yeah, yeah. So- Anyhow, uh, I I always talk- Thank you so much. No, (laughs) I really appreciate it. I think- Ahmed, if you didn't have anything else, this would be a good point to wrap it up. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we we talked a lot about life and death, which I guess is pretty pretty perfect for like what you do, Dean. And I I don't know, I I really do appreciate how well you conveyed the your message about me too. Talking more about some like talking more about something that you may have not wanted to talk about, right? We're making sense of things that happen every day all around us. Yeah, P- People dying is happening everywhere. It's not just Bob Saget, but yeah. it's all these people in Ukraine right now and Russian soldiers that are dying and not, I mean, it's just, it's. Thank it's, you for shedding light on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just everywhere. And yeah. at, at least, at least the things that we can take away from the stuff we see on the news, whether it's believable or not, these tragedies we're seeing or the whoever's out there, you just realize it's finite. And so the best way that you can make your own life better is to talk to your family. The way you can become a better global citizen is to try and understand why people think and feel the way they feel and not necessarily agree with them, but understand what motivates them to feel a certain way. 
And it all ends up, it all goes back to the fact that we're all going to die someday. And, you know, while we're here, you know, we want very common things. You know, not everybody wants to be a millionaire. Some people just want to make sure they can put clothes on their kids' backs and celebrate birthdays and grandfather's 80th and and travel a little bit and travel a little bit. Yeah. Yep. No. So 100% agree. Do you have any, uh, any like social media or anything like that, that you would like to share? Does your project have social media? Yes. So our, our, so our, now, um, our website is lovealwaysproject.org. Um, we're building new, uh, features and content all the time. And soon we'll be launching a forum that people can participate in. Um, on Instagram, we are the underscore love underscore always underscore project. Uh, on Twitter, it's at the underscore love underscore always. And on Facebook, it's the love always project. And so we're just getting started. We had a USA today, uh, insert that was in on the 15th. We splurged a little bit because they had an end of life issue and we saw some spikes there. And the main thing is, is I, I, I really hope that people feel like that they can post and express themselves, ask questions uh, about their, about end of life or their life experiences, tell stories. That's what it's all about. And um, that just makes it easier. So uh, we just want to have this thing where people can come and, and again, have a space. You can have those conversations. I want more of the, more of the content to come from users than I do from subject matter experts, because even we learn from that. Of course. Oh, it's just more, more examples that you can apply. I feel like every experience probably shifts your perception of everything one way. Yep. And every celebration and every memorial is as individual as the person that lived. And we all have different lives. Yeah. So everyone, you know where to find us at Black Box Podcast. No A in the black on Instagram and Twitter. You could find us on TikTok at Black Box Podcast. And there is an A in the black on TikTok. Thank you, uh, Dean, again. I know we've said thank you plenty of times, but truly a great, great experience. Well, for me too, I I love the energy uh, of people, especially when you're working and going to school. And I hope this has been useful for folks. And uh, I wish you all uh, both the best of luck. Hope hope, hope as many of your dreams come true as you want to make. Thank you. And you you. with your new project. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks.